0: Welcome to the Institute of Directors Business Podcast, a podcast where we interview directors from all over Scotland about their careers and business. I'm your host, Marlene Lowe, Director and Founder of Titchborne Promotions and Long-Term IOD Member. Craig Fleming and I have an incredibly interesting discussion about philanthropy in this week's episode. His passion for philanthropy is palpable and his drive to show how anyone can do good is admirable. FJ Philanthropy's mission is to improve people's lives by enhancing clients' capabilities to deliver their mission across a range of areas spanning research, education, health, religion, welfare and the arts.
1: It's probably worth starting towards the end of, of, of high school really. Um, was very passionate and interested in science in particular chemistry because of um, like lots of people you know an inspirational teacher um, so that that sort of education piece there and, and how he inspired me and i'm sure many others to, to have a real love for for chemistry um and you know back in the day where you went to the computer and the careers computer told you what you might like to study um something that jumped out at me at the time was was forensic science Mm-hmm. And so I went to university, I went to Strathclyde University to study Forensic and Analytical Chemistry, um, which was a four-year degree course plus a year in industry, and that was that was fascinating. I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. I probably should have worked a bit harder uh, at points, but um, my year in industry developed an additional uh, interest in a specific area of chemistry, and at the end of my degree, uh, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to go to to Durham University to study uh, towards you know, obtaining a PhD um, in um, in polymer chemistry, which was uh, which had a sort of um, uh, an application within the veterinary um, reproductive health side of things, and um, that I suppose sort of unexpectedly spurred my interest um outside of the laboratory um in the sense of, of the kind of business side of things so the the, the work was um the subject of a, a patent application and we were attempting to commercialize the elements of the research that, that i was undertaking for my phd and i started to get involved in some of the sales and business development side of, of that um and then that didn't quite pan out um very philosophical about it but it's just one of those things that that commercialization route um didn't happen in the way that we all expected and but but in a way uh quite unexpectedly quite suddenly i found myself needing to to find job a job and um i ended up uh working then in the in the world of um scientific recruitment and sales and so I've spent probably about five years doing sales and business development within the, the sort of um, pharmaceutical and bulk chemical and broadly the sort of scientific world of, uh, of recruitment in the northeast of England. Um, and after a period of time, felt that I needed a different challenge, but one where I could apply those skills and a, a job was, uh, had come up at Durham University to work in major donor fundraising and this was my first exposure to the world of fundraising and philanthropy um and and so that was the start of a journey and after a number of years then in higher education and in the in the sort of big charity world in the form of cancer research uk and then latterly in, in independent education i spent a number of years in leadership roles um in that fundraising and comms and Um, stakeholder management uh, and event space and my brother uh, had set up his own business um, in this latter period in the intervening period he had a a somewhat similar um, background to me he's also a scientist and had been worked in the pharmaceutical industry and etc and had found his way into uh, into the sort of charity space Um, and yeah, he was looking at how did he grow the business and I was thinking about what my next challenge would be. Mm-hmm. And so we, we sort of joined forces at that point and I came on board to help him grow the business he'd set up and for it to, to make it more of a family enterprise. Yeah. And yeah. So that was, that was my um, real journey then into sort of, you know, working and owning and running and um, thinking about more strategically about a business and and how we can support you know our, our clients in the sort of higher education and charity sectors at large sort of think
2: so tell us more about what you do specifically
1: yeah it's funny um it's sometimes a difficult thing to articulate in, in one sentence although people who know me would say that i never articulate anything in one sentence but <laughs> um it, we're effectively and i hate this description but this is the one sentence version and i'm happy to elaborate we're effectively management consultants but in a specific sectoral space so mm-hmm. we are providing strategic advice and support to the um the third sector and the, the, the HE space
2: um
1: that's it in a nutshell and that takes any number of different guises it can be coaching and mentoring and supporting staff and teams it can be um looking at um strategy strategy development it can be um supporting research and um and um um, you know um, prospect research it can be um supporting recruitment and and growing teams so yeah i mean and i could list and list and list but it's effectively that that sort of um strategic oversight critical friend supportive nurturing capacity building type type work
2: okay so when we talk about philanthropy, I'm sure this happens to many of us, where the first thing that kind of comes into your head are people like Bill Gates, people that earn lots of money and give it away for the, the greater good. Um, it, do you feel that that's the true What What is the true essence of philanthropy to you? What, what What is the true image of philanthropy?
1: It's a, no, again, that's a really insightful question and hopefully gives it gives a chance to get something of an insightful answer there's a story i always tell and, and I, if my brother was here just now he'd probably start laughing because he probably knows
2: when
1: i first started doing fundraising i was several months if not a bit more into the job and i was having trouble actually answering the question you asked me a moment ago at that time when my friends say, well, what is it you do and i say well um i raise." money for the University of Durham from wealthy alumni principally and they say well what, what, what does that mean they say well someone might give 50,000 pounds towards you know the, the, the geography department because they studied geography at Durham yeah and say, why, why, in it, why on earth would someone do that and to be honest with you even though I sort of understood it um, you know implicitly I don't think I was ever able explicitly to fully articulate that and of course some people say oh it's tax they do it because it saves them tax
2: mm.
1: and that's a nonsense actually that's not true um I, I think for me what philanthropy means to me and, and when I got it um philosophically was <clears throat> I, I maybe won't say who it was actually but, um because it might not be fair it's that someone who's sadly passed away but he was a former global chief executive of a huge, multinational company. So he'd been successful um, in business and um, had made a lot of money. And he was a charming individual, he was well liked. Him and his wife were both um, alumni of the university. And I'd been building rapport and relationship with him over the course of several months. And we were raising money for a project at the time. It was sort of in the aftermath of the Afghan war. And we were raising money to offer women from Afghanistan a chance to spend a year in the UK as part of their education, which seemed like a very fitting thing to do given all the, the turmoil. And I called them up to ask them if they would be willing to consider supporting this program. And I told them how much money we were looking for. And in this case, the request was was a six figure ask. And he said, look, leave it with me. I'll discuss it with my wife and we'll come back to him in a few days. A few days later, I was at the side of my desk, my phone rang. Um, and, and he was on the end of the phone. And he said, uh, look, we've had a chat about it, Craig, and we'll, we'll do the full invite full you've asked for. Um, and I was on the cusp of, you know, I was itching to say thank you. And, and you know, I was overwhelmed by, by this. And, and before I could get the words out, he said to me, and I just want you to know, Craig, that we're both so grateful that you gave us the opportunity to support this. Oh
2: wow. Um,
1: that is it genuinely it sends a little shiver to me when I tell the story, genuinely when I get I to am that shivering. point. Shivering. It was it was at that moment. And I don't know if that's what it means to Bill Gates, to use your earlier yeah. example. Um, I'd like to think actually that that it is something yeah. similar to that. Um I'd like to think that he feels that his success in life has given him the privilege and the opportunity to support the things that he wants to support and that his wife melinda wants to support and and maybe the rest of the family but that that really for me was the moment that i think i understood what it meant what philanthropy done right really means for people it's not twisting people's arms up their backs and you know um hijacking them for some money uh it's not a robin hood type thing it's it's genuinely marrying up an interest a passion um something that's important with you know someone who has the means to support that and giving them a chance to say yes or no to it giving them a chance yeah. to think about it and decide if it's the right thing for them and then letting them use their soft power or the power of their their wealth in that context i suppose to to make a difference and so that's what philanthropy means to me is giving those that can at whatever level frankly the opportunities to support something that that actually means something to them.
2: That gave me such goosebumps. <laughs> so is philanthropy only in relation to giving money?
1: No, again, it's not. I mean, <clears throat> of course, it's probably the most obvious and the most common um,
2: form of philanthropy. Form,
1: exactly, form of philanthropy. Um, but people, people give their time. Yeah. Uh, pe- people give things. They give in kind. They might give, you know, property, which, which I suppose is close to money. But they might give an item. They might give. They might give um, their expertise for a period of time. So I suppose you could argue on one level that lawyers or accountants doing work pro bono is a form of philanthropy, right? They're giving yeah. up their time and their expertise and their skill that they would normally be paid for to yeah. do something to give back. So I think it's any form of meaningful giving back mm. and helping one's fellow human being frankly. Um, Without
2: the expectation of getting something back in other words it's giving freely to help someone else better their lives.
1: Precisely yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a transaction if you like not that I think of it in a transactional way but it's a transaction that's very heavily biased in one direction mm-hmm. you know the, the for it to be classed as a gift in a boring tax way, there can't be something coming back in any meaningful way. Yeah, um, you know, there are a lot of rules around that. You know, very boring uh, way. But, but if someone gives a gift of a hundred pounds, you can't give them a thank you that's, you know, any more than a pound or two in value because it just becomes it's not really yeah. a gift and it's a purchase. So, and the same is true as, as the as the amounts of money rise. So yeah, it's exactly it's something somebody giving something willfully because they want to do it with no real physical tangible benefit in return other than the good that they do and the feeling that they get from that
2: so in theory anyone could be a philanthropist
1: absolutely and i think there's a lot often said about that culture of philanthropy perhaps not existing in the uk versus how perhaps people perceive it to be in the united states which is always heralded as the um particularly in in the charity and the higher education space you know universities often look across the pond and say oh i wish we were hard like harvard or yale or you know these universities make make millions of dollars every year from their alumni and Mm. you know most of the universities in the uk could only dream of doing anything similar to that but but actually i i I don't subscribe to that view either i think that the, the the philanthropic sentiments of uh of of the British nation have been there for many centuries, but perhaps, perhaps in a different way. Perhaps it's less um, showy. Maybe it's more mm. humble. May, maybe I don't know. I don't wish to suggest that all <laughs> Americans are arrogant and they're giving, but it's, but it's <laughs> perhaps it's not very British to talk about money.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so maybe it's just that that little bit. There's a little bit more humility. There's a little bit more awkwardness around it. But I don't think that means that the British people, whether they're able to make very substantial gifts or whether they're able to make more modest gifts, I don't think that means that they're not philanthropic or generous. Mm. I think quite the opposite. No, I think that culture of philanthropy piece though is interesting and I think people are generous. And you just have to look at the big appeals that happen every year in the UK where the Mm. average man or woman in the street, you know, gets to things like children in need or comic relief or these big appeals, huge sums of money are given. Um, And typically those, those sums, uh cumulatively are made up of smaller a large number of smaller donations rather than one big philanthropist coming in and writing the check so
2: do you think so much like the title of leader you can't really assign it to yourself well is that the same within the world of philanthropy that it's generally bestowed upon you about those around you as opposed to you going in and saying i'm a philanthropist
1: it's an interesting question. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's an easy answer to that if I'm being honest. My, my gut reaction sort of shooting from the hip would be I think some people find it quite easy to label themselves as a philanthropist and again not because I'm suggesting that they're that are being arrogant in doing that. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe they, they want they want to be seen to be giving something back. I think yeah. some people feel less comfortable with the, the, the label. Mm-hmm. Um, or perhaps the word philanthropist conjures up something more grand. I mean, to go back to your point about Bill, your reference to Bill Gates rather than your point about him, I think sometimes when people hear the word philanthropist, even some wealthy and very generous people for everyone it's all relative yeah so someone's ability to give away 10 pounds might be just as that might be just as substantial a gift in terms of their net worth as someone's ability to give away ten thousand pounds as someone's ability to give away 10 million pounds and so but what i think happens is that the person that gives away 10 pounds when really that that might be 10 percent of their wealth let's say they don't think of themselves as a philanthropist so that label I'm being very stark in the numbers here to make the point, but that, that label opinion. might feel very uncomfortable to them.
2: Yeah. But
1: actually what's quite interesting is sometimes the individual who can give away £10,000, they might still feel, it's not right to refer to myself as a philanthropist or even not feel comfortable someone else doing so
2: when yeah. they look
1: then at, at Bill Gates, to use him again as the example, yeah, exactly. because he's giving away £10 million. So... Yeah, I think you could be onto something there that it it, it doesn't often feel natural for people. Um, whereas there are some, and again, it's not to judge the amounts of money they give away. I don't think that's as important. I think mm-hmm. it's about the spirit in which they, they enter into it. Yeah. That, that feel comfortable with the label and, and perhaps even using the label to describe themselves. You know, I'm a philanthropist, yeah. I like to support causes that mean something to me. So, yeah, it's in it. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I, th- I think it becomes more difficult though as the numbers, even even some of the bigger numbers, something that yeah. I-, I couldn't afford to give away £10,000, I don't have £10,000 to give away, someone <laughs> who can might still not think of themselves as a philanthropist, even though that's clearly a very philanthropic act. So.
2: Yeah, this is something that I've thought about, um, especially with talking about the development goals and or the the UN sustainability development goals and other endeavors that come up and become have become more um prevalent in today's society do you think that culturally within let's say Scotland specifically UK a bit more broader that there is that passion or drive to help the wider communities in a philanthropic way and, and not want the not saying recognition but have that that thing that comes back to you
1: so yeah I mean I think that's where it is just if I'm answering your question correctly and if I'm not just ask me the question again but I think that's where the 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 whole notion the whole concept of philanthropy is such a personal thing
2: Mm.
1: so for some people you know the, the old adage of charity begins at home is is still really resonant and strong for them and and what the reason i mean i mentioned that and again if this isn't to your point um just to do say but what i'm saying is that there are people for whom um you know seeing seeing some um tragic and impoverished scenario in a third world country might even still tug on their heartstrings a bit but they might feel that they are any support that they can give, and again, irrespective now of the quantum, yeah. let's just think about the proportion of their wealth, or ability to give, yeah. they might feel that that's better directed at a local food bank or yeah. Yeah. at a local homeless charity. So those international development goals, um, for some people, for big campaigns, whether it's something in emergency, a Disasters Emergency Committee or something, they, they put out these appeals and they're trying, Connect with the nation. Um, obviously, there's often a strong outpouring of support in, in those scenarios, um, and that that that's understandable and it's good and it's um, generous. But I think there are there will always be people who feel that that is perhaps. A level above them, that that should be a governmental philanthropic goal, or it should be a multinational business objective, or 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 someone on the of the stratospheric wealth, like a, a Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates yeah. or whoever. So, yeah, I don't know if that fully addresses your point or not. Um,
2: it I think... does. I mean, it's it's quite a a big topic to try and tackle in one question, probably. <laughs> Because there, there is the the additive, we need to do things at home, we need to help those around us. What's your hope within Scotland, maybe the wider world, if we can go that far, when it comes to the type of work that you guys do and the help that can be
1: provided? Yeah, I think to, to, before hope, they step back. So uh, the vision of the company, FJ Philanthropy's stated vision and, and kind of belief is that, Philanthropy and education are two of the most powerful change agents. You know, Mm. that's that's the company's genuine belief. It's certainly a belief individually that both Brian and myself hold dear. Um, We've seen that in a number of guises already. We've seen the story I alluded to earlier Mm. about the the gift and the the philosophy behind that donor. in my own journey, I, you know, I'm I'm no Bill Gates, but um, and I probably never will be, of course. But you know that that educational experience from my old chemistry teacher, you know, he he inspired me, so mm-hmm. that that was a good thing. But, you know, he made a difference in that sense. So I suppose my hope is that um is it, underpinning all of that 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 culturally the UK can remember its its origins there that. There's been the philanthropy's done a lot of good. You know, lots of the institutions that we know and love have benefited from the from philanthropy. Maybe several hundred years prior to today to to establish something that might still be going strong. You know, you asked about how conscientious, how involved, how challenging, how and interested donors are these days. I think. There's also a greater level of scrutiny being applied now by many charities around gift acceptance.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, again, with all due respect to, to, to everyone who considers giving financial support for some charities now, they just don't feel they can take it from certain quarters. Okay. Um, you know, public examples of that that, that therefore don't aren't contentious in terms of me mentioning them would be things like the Sackler Foundation, who, you know, I've lost track now if it was this year or last year with mm-hmm. all of the lockdown we've been through. I've kind of been in a time warp, but recently, <laughs> shall we say, um, <laughs> suspended their trust in the UK because they were um, they were accused. You know, they were linked with, um, and, and I'm and I'm saying this without judgment, and I'm also not an expert in the topic in that sense. Yeah. But the the family made money from the pharmaceutical industry, which sold um, certain legally. Uh, manufactured drugs for pain mm-hmm. relief that found their way onto the you know the, the, the abuse uh, side of the of life and people were abusing these
2: yeah. um,
1: drugs and then becoming addicted to them and so lots of people felt that they couldn't take money from the Sackler Foundation because okay. you know if you up the dots up, you end up back at a drug abuse problem that yeah. was rife particularly in the US um, and that's where it's a really fascinating ethical debate because yeah. um you know some people will take real issue with that and they'll say well we can't take money from that foundation uh, it, it, it's and so they have suspended uh, i believe they're still suspended you know applications for funds um, and and i guess that will be that will be interesting you know some people will feel i fact in this this week i've spotted a bit of chatter in the in the a charity sector that people are questioning, uh, so open question at this stage again, no judgment from me at this point, should they or shouldn't they sign up to Amazon's um, Smile program? Yeah. Some people are delighted to do so and they, they get some some money flows to the charity, whatever mm. charity may be, and whatever good it does, and others feel that, oh well, their view is Amazon doesn't pay enough tax mm. in whatever jurisdiction, so, why should we also take money from them because really they should be doing more, you know? Yeah. And and that and that's where the debate's interesting. Now, people are looking back, I think what would be beneficial now would be perhaps that moral judgment to be applied live in the moment more often. Yeah. So that it wasn't something. And, and another example, I won't name the charity because uh, it probably isn't common knowledge, but the, the, another industry which is perhaps facing some pressure is the energy sector, you know, oil mm. and gas, for some people now, that doesn't meet environmental um, conditions. Understandably, uh, you know, people were concerned about climate change and perhaps you know uh, feel that they ought to look at things differently. And so, there are education programmes that were at one time funded very generously by the oil and gas industry and some charities have turned their back on that money and said we'd rather go and find other money and given themselves yeah. the real problem actually, because mm. they don't immediately have the money to fill that void, but they're taking, a, they're taking a stand that's based on their principles and values.
2: Yeah.
1: As opposed to later on down the line, maybe when it's even perhaps even more of an issue from a public perception point of view, yeah. having to distance themselves from it later.
2: I'd like to change tack a little bit and kind of go down another route that you and I've talked about before, but it would be really nice to hear your thoughts on it again and, and aspirations. And that's tied to the role of philanthropy when it comes to university.
1: In, what, in, in general terms or in, is there a specific thing? General
2: terms, but also from, from my understanding, and I may have misunderstood it, you, you've got a bit of a passion, don't you, around philanthropy and it being taught early on?
1: yeah i think um i think it, goes, it probably goes right back to this some of the points at the start of this discussion about how well understood that even the word the concept of philanthropy is yeah
2: so
1: yeah i think i i am passionate about the concept but i'm also passionate about perhaps people understanding not only what what they might be able to do in their own way however big or small but also understanding what it means for others to do that yes. so to take those two bits in context I and mean, people often feel um I, I think and again anecdotally well you know i can only do a, i i i can't afford to give very much so is there any point
2: mm. and
1: you know then you get you can get romantic and say well if everyone gave five pounds there would be this much money right you yeah. know a university <laughs> might look at their alumni and say wow got a hundred thousand alumni you know if they all give a pound a month got a hundred thousand pounds a month that's that's awesome right and that that would be awesome but of course there's two factors at play maybe not everyone can afford to give a pound a month maybe not everyone wants to give the university a pound a month Uh, maybe a percentage of people think well I would do it but I know that most people won't and they all have that thought so that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy so it'd be good to get people to understand that their their gift can make a difference. And to your point about people being more discerning and wanting to know more, I think there is going to start to be more demand from organisations to explain a little bit more about where their money goes, even if it's a more modest amount.
2: Yeah.
1: So, um that's why I think sometimes it's helpful to contextualise someone's giving in the concept of their overall net worth. And again, net worth needn't be Applied simply to someone with lots of money. Everyone's got a net worth, and how much they give to charity still relatively might be might even be a greater percentage of their net worth than someone is extremely wealthy. Mm-hmm. So, because of that, perhaps organisations ought to be thinking more about explaining. You know, if if you gave or if you do give um, five pounds a month, and uh, you want that to go towards supporting students who are in hardship then this is what you know 60 pounds a year plus gift aid will do yeah for example um, and some organizations and some universities are very good at that and others perhaps are have not moved in that direction
2: yeah
1: I, but i think it's also important to get back to that point that my friend used to ask me what do you do why why would people with lots of money give you money i do think there's an educational piece more broadly around getting people to understand that philanthropy is not simply a duty of people who are wealthy, you know, mm-hmm. you can't just say, "Well, so and so's got tons of money. Why, why aren't they giving it? What well, they they can afford to do that, you know, or yeah. because it doesn't. That doesn't. That's how it works. Um, yeah. You know, they have to, and and they have to want to do it. it has to be the right thing for them. It has to be the right time. You know, just because they have lots of money, they're prerogative to decide. How to use that money doesn't change versus yours and mine.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, now there are some, and there's a strong argument this. Who feel I think people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and others have spoken of this that they have a duty, having made so much money, they have a duty to give it. And that's where I suppose there's some philosophical, either disconnect or maybe crossover. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that view, and they're better placed to speak of that feeling of duty than I am. But mm-hmm. I think that still doesn't take away the idea of prerogative so yeah. the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has some very clearly defined objectives and goals they don't just give their money willy-nilly to lots of different causes you know they, they're, they're focused on malaria predominantly let's say they're focused on that's that's, that's the nut they want to crack and yeah. so um that's what I think philanthropy needs to be understood is that the, the money and any sense of responsibility that might come with that the ability to be able to use your wealth to do good still doesn't take away the chance for you to um, be uh, given the right you know the, the tools to make the right decision or the yeah. tools to make a decision that you feel comfortable with so I think yeah I'd like to see I'd like to see people get a better understanding of what true philanthropy is and what the what the motivation of donors are. And there have been reports. There was a report written recently um, that I think Barclays fronted that shared some misconceptions that existed both from the charity to the and from the in the direction from the charity to the donor, i.e. misconceptions the charity had about donors and mm-hmm. barriers to them giving. But there's equally, I think Some misconceptions from potential donors or actual donors back towards charities.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, some people's perception of charity is that it should be that the charity should run on a shoestring, that it should be free, that people shouldn't be paid a good salary.
2: Yeah. That's
1: that's that's a sort of mirror version of some misconception again. I think you still need good people to run these organisations, and they need to be Mm -hmm. paid appropriately.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, I think education and why why philanthropy is important and why and how it can make a difference would definitely um, um, would definitely help and make a difference. And the earlier that people understand that and they can make an informed choice, the more likely that they'll go on that journey with an organisation for a longer time. Yeah. Um, whereas in the case of some organisations, let's say universities or schools where they have alumni and they've got a natural base of, stakeholders sometimes there's a big disconnect between the last point of contact with that institution and then the point at which they're asked mm. and so that might feel like it's too much of a bolt out of the blue and why should i give them that they've not they've not had a chance to go on that journey about staying connected and thinking about why their support might be valuable
2: yeah so i'd like to ask a few more questions about your journey what's one of the biggest lessons that you've learned throughout your career
1: um i suppose a really generic one which was a piece of advice that somebody once gave to me and i suppose sometimes i don't heed it often enough um is that you can never communicate enough And I think you can apply that in different contexts. The context, I suppose it resonates most strongly with me as in the context of your customers, or your clients. Yeah. So, um, you know, communication and, and the frequency of it and the quality of it is really important and actually it's better to over communicate, um, than it is to, um, find yourself, for example, on the back foot or, you know, someone wondering what's happening it's much easier just to be to be told actually that's not you can just check in with me in a month that'll be fine yeah. rather than assume that a month might be fine so yeah that would be I, I i don't think it was a lesson i necessarily learned the hard way fully but i think it's one that um when i reflect on it is, is a really good piece of advice that i've taken to heart um, did you
2: think you were going to be in this position when you went to uni
1: no def- definitely not um and i suppose actually i i have reflected on that a number of times you know did i study the right thing did i do the right thing i don't really know that there's an not, an honest or easy way of, un- of answering that question uh, that i've posed to myself but no definitely not um i, I don't think it's a trajectory anyone could have plotted with any accuracy.
2: Yeah. Did you uh, have role models? Considering both you and your brother kinda had very similar decisions along the way of, of science and then business, is is that something that you think you got from from your environment around you, or is it something that you both came to organically yourselves?
1: I suppose a mixture of things, you know um, our, our father was pretty entrepreneurial he he had variously his own his own businesses um, uh, throughout his career he's retired now but you know he uh, he did he did have his own businesses and and they were never you know they were never huge organizations don't get me wrong but i suppose that that sort of innate entrepreneurial spirit was there on some level i think as well without this being too cheesy, but I think <laughs> the sciences um, and chemistry, you know, I would, I certainly would still advocate people thinking about those subjects, um, even if they don't want to be in a lab. And the Royal Society of Chemistry had a very famous campaign. I, I don't think it's still going, but um, they had a sort of poster campaign with people in different guises, in different contexts. Um, maybe someone in a boardroom. It might have been someone halfway up a mountain, it might have been someone, you know, scuba diving, um, whatever. And and it, and it just said, not all chemists wear white coats. And, <laughs> uh, and I think that that's extremely true and valid. And as I say, with no disrespect to the people that came up with it, the, the Royal side of chemistry, um, I don't mean this to be cheesy, but I think I think it is true, and I think it was a, a very a very clever campaign because, okay, I'm a chemist, but different different scientists would argue similar. You know, being scientifically minded makes you think in a certain way. Mm. You also study a lot of mathematics and and things as well, so it makes you quite, quite a adept, perhaps at thinking about problems and trying to solve problems and look for solutions. No, no pun intended. Yeah. So. I think, and and if you look at whether you love them or loathe them, if you look at some famous chemists who are not chemists or weren't chemists, you know, Margaret Thatcher studied chemistry, Angela Merkel's a chemist. Mm. um, You know, there are a number of people who've gone on in the business world who've um, studied the sciences or who've never practiced it in that sense. So I think I don't regret it in that way. I certainly learned a lot. um, And there were also role models along the way. There were people who were innovative, who were spinning companies out, who were trying to commercialise their ideas. So, Mm. um, yeah, but but I certainly could never have predicted that I'd be doing what I do now.
2: Speaking of role models, who are some of your role models?
1: Yeah, you know, I genuinely... I'm going to have to pad here because I genuinely struggle with that question. And every yeah. time I'm asked it, and I have been asked it a few times, I should probably just make a note of what I said and then just <laughs> stick to that answer. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm really not one of those people who kind of, you know, prominent or famous names trip off the tongue for me as role yeah. models, genuinely. I feel it would be contrived of me to, to give names, and I think that's probably where I end up each time. I think I just did. Do you know what I admire? It's probably easier to say what I admire as a trait. Yeah. And one of the things I admire most in people, and it's something that that I try my hardest to live by, is honesty, mm. straightforward transparency, and honesty. I'd far rather someone was straight down the line honest with me, even if it's not what I want to hear, um, or it doesn't, it wasn't, not You know, the outcome wasn't going to be personally suitable to me, than people who are you know political or with a small p obviously or you know just just yeah just manipulative so for me role models are anyone who it could be someone who's not famous it could be someone who's not prominent someone who has the, the the guts and the conviction to just be honest in any given situation i find that's what i respect and therefore, yeah. that that would that would matter to me a lot. And that, of course, there are lots of prominent people who tick that box, but um, yeah. I wouldn't single any one of them out.
2: And what's what's one of the main lessons you've learned in your role as a director?
1: Um. Well, actually, I think you know I've held the role of director in different companies, different contexts. This, more recently, working with working in a family business context, mm. there is an overlap to the last point about honesty. I think straightforwardness and honesty is important, but not making it personal. Yeah. You know, business is business, and family is family.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, keeping business between the hours of whatever you work um, and keeping that separate. So I think um, – and, and actually – you know, Brian and I spent quite a lot of time um, prior to going into business together. You know, me joining the business that he'd founded and set up, actually working with with people and working with someone to to work through what not to do, traps yeah. you know, not to fall into. And I think we've got a better understanding of each other as people now than perhaps we did just as siblings previously. So. Yeah, it's back to that, respecting other people's views, respecting the differences, respecting the things that irritate you about your colleagues, your, you know, um, your clients, you know, yeah. <laughs> and realising that it's not always, it can't always be the way you want it to be. Yeah. Um, but, but being able to accept that and just be honest with yourself about it and be honest with others. So I think probably that, but that the, the other piece, which I suppose is maybe less about what I've learned, but more about what I value, and therefore what I think is hopefully stood us in good stead, and will continue to st- stand us and me in good stead, is is that piece about integrity again, is mm-hmm. the importance of that, the the, import, the ability to be to be able to to speak frankly and truthfully about what you're doing, and tell a client not what they want to hear, but What the truth is what we need to hear and and stand behind that and not worry that you know because it would be easy sometimes to just take the path of least resistance but that wouldn't be being true to anyone
2: so yeah
0: we hope you've enjoyed today's episode The Institute of Directors is in the heart of all major cities and continues to represent your point of view as a business leader, both locally and nationally. Our objective is to ensure that your views are taken into account when the government is reviewing policy, legislation, or seeking the opinions of the wider business community. If you're interested in joining the IOD, please visit www.iod.com. Also take the opportunity to listen to our other IOD podcast, Policy Voice. To join the conversation and share your thoughts in today's episode, engage with us on Twitter or join the IOD LinkedIn Scotland group. We hope the rest of your week goes well and look
2: forward to sharing another episode with you next week. Bye.